0: This morning's Gospel lesson comes to us from the Gospel of John. It is the very familiar story of Lazarus. I'll read from the first seven verses and then I'll skip to verse 17 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lend to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days The one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was, and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone was lying against it and Jesus said take away the stone Martha the sister of the dead man said to him Lord already there is a stench because he has been dead four days And Jesus said to her did I not tell you that if you believed if you believed you would see the glory of God so they took away the stone And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So here we are on Communion Sunday, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Holy Week, the Sunday before Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Easter. Oh, so many things to say and oh so little time time has roared by us for just the other day wasn't it just Christmas Eve didn't we just sit in the November worship committee meeting didn't we just sit in the worship committee meeting and say okay we've put Easter to bed and we're ready to go and everyone chuckled and said my Aren't you impressed with yourself? Time flew by. The journey has continued. And life comes upon us like a freight train. And it barrels down at us like a train that is at full speed. And we tend to think as we exhale, ah, oh. after Christmas Eve, there was this collective. Ah, <sighs> Don't you wish it could last this way forever? If things could just stay like this, life is good. <sighs> However, things do change. Just like you all, I've listened to the text that we read this morning. I've listened to that since I was just a little kid. I've preached on the text. I've taught the text. I've heard the text taught in Sunday school by other people, other pastors. Uh, I've heard Jesus wept, as the shortest sentence in the Bible, ever since I can remember. And yet there are so many questions that are left unanswered. When I was around 18 years old, I went to a college retreat from our church, the Presbytery had put it on, and this was the text that we studied it was a retreat that was sponsored by the presbytery that our college-age youth group went on. It was endorsed and it turned out to be one of those significant emotional events for me. It would be the first time I had to pray in front of a group. I was petrified Not only did I have to pray for the group, but I had to set time aside to pray for myself, just me and God. Now, it was a different kind of praying thing. It wasn't that same prayer that I said at night before I went to bed. It was a deliberate prayer outside of that event of sleeping. I was petrified. I'd never done that before. Then I had to pray with someone one-on-one, I had to grab their hands, I had to look in their eyes, and then pray for that person. (laughs) I was petrified. It would be the first time. I guess I had to talk to God. That's what made it so simple. And the important part was not so much the talking with God, but The listening to God for the answers. God would impart things that I had never heard before, things that I heard Jesus talking about in this text. And I mean he was really talking. The person that led the retreat uh, uh, was in, in my particular group were five, there were five men in this particular, there were no boys and girls together, five men and then I can't remember how many girls there were, there was just one important one. (laughs) But the the five guys, one was in seminary, he was our student pastor, he was the leader of our youth group. There were two that were in seminary getting ready to go to seminary and one was an intimidating young man. He knew his Bible Still, I think, better than anybody I've ever met in my life. A, such a faithful Christian man. He was schooled in the Bible. And then they were just me. I was new to the church in Flowertown, I was new to the area, and I had fallen in love with a girl in the youth group. She was with that other group of ladies right? She wore a white ski jacket. I remember vividly. She had a white Bible. I ended up marrying her. (laughs) The the leader from Pinebrook noticed that I was pretty quiet. I was quiet at some point in my life. And you all now blame this guy for me now he stopped right in the middle of the lesson he stopped right in the middle and asked me how do you read the text how do I literally read the text well I read the words well yeah but I have an idea he said because I don't think it's taking its meaning it's not meaningful to you you are not getting it so no I get it He goes no I don't think you get it. And of course, the other four in the group were going, Whew. <laughs> Whew. I read the words, I said, well, yeah. When Jesus speaks, the leader said, when Jesus speaks in the text, imagine that he is speaking directly to you, using your name and expecting you to be part of the story. I said, well, this is the Lazarus text. The guy that was dead in the cave, dead four days. You want me to be Lazarus? Oh, thanks very much. So he reread the text for us, just for me. Ken's sister came to Jesus, and so on and so on. And every time Lazarus' name was mentioned, he, he used my name. He asked how that changed the text. Ooh. Now if you read the Providence Post, I asked you to put names in there and take the places, take your place in with the characters that were in the story. That's where this came from. That particular method, putting yourself into the text, into the crowd, into into the characters. He asked me How did that change the text? I have to admit, it's pretty intimidating. It's pretty intimidating. But luckily, so it was for the other four guys, too. The educated ones, the really faithful ones, the ones that were in seminary, the ones that were going to be a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Guess who only became a pastor out of that group? (laughs) All the other ones stopped. It must have been that retreat. <laughs> I had to put myself in Lazarus's shoes. But how? He was dead four days. We had a great session. But the important thing is I came out of my shell. I came out of my shell as a Christian. I was not afraid anymore to speak about what I believed. I wasn't afraid to speak about and show that I was a Christian. That I had faith. Love became secondary. It did. My love of God blossomed in that moment. My love for her too, but my love for God, I'm trying to get myself out of this. I came out of my shell. I realized that I was just a tiny, teeny piece of the big picture. Just a tiny piece. Before that time, the world centered around me. It did. It centered around me. It was me in baseball. It was me in golf. It was me in football. It was me in basketball. I was a star. Everybody told me so. Except these five guys all of a sudden all that didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter one bit. When we insert ourselves into the text, and I believe that we must, we must, and I believe that we find that as we travel on our faith journeys, and our Jesus' constant companions throughout his ministry, traveling with him, walking with him, holding his hand, him holding us up in the palm of his hands, carrying us on his shoulders, As we travel through village and town and mountainous regions in the texts and as we journey through life, we often appear more concerned with the situational limitations than with the restorative powers and possibilities of the resurrection and the life we tend to miss the power of those possibilities those powers that exist even within us there's a resurrection that takes place when you become a Christian when you decide to really to really follow Jesus Christ when you do that there's a power that comes within you there's an energy that steps within you It changes your heart. You see things differently. You know things differently. Your focus from a ministerial standpoint is different. You see things in a different way. When you see someone that's hungry you feed them. When you see someone that's thirsty you give them something to drink. When you see injustice in, the, in, in your face, right there, injustice, you want to help them. When you see someone that has fallen down, you want to pick them up. Regardless of who they are. For they are all your neighbor. That's the ministerial focus that we worry about. Those are the conditions that now exist. When you become a Christian, the conditions change. Your eyes are open. Your ears are open. Your mind is open. And you see things differently. You see potential in everything. You see potential in finances, in congregational life, in hospitality, in mission. Did I say finance? You see all those things in stewardship and mission outreach. Those things that you do in Christian ed. You see those things around you differently. They're all around us now. Jesus encounters with us everything around us. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. Even Jesus has to pray. I know that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. This is the moment of truth. It's the moment of truth where the changes in the disciples' lives and Jesus knows it's the final act. For it is this act that turns the Jewish leadership against him. He becomes too powerful, it's now his time, and he knows it. When he cried out he said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Kenneth, come out! And then Kenneth came out his hands and feet bound his face wrapped in cloth and Jesus said to them unbind him and let him go oh Kenneth come out it was the way that he said it come out Janie come out dead four days why didn't Jesus do that why did he do that four days why did he wait think what he could have done for Margie, and for Jay's brother, and, and for, uh, for Grandma sunquist if Jesus had just been there to raise them from the dead and not let them die. Then the thought crossed my mind. What would I have died from? Then it hit me. He did raise me. I was dead to sin. I was dead to sin. A new life had been given to me. It would start the next stage in my life, the next part of a new journey. And that's what happens when we finally take on our life as a Christian, right? We start that new journey, that new way of life. I was dead to sin, but Jesus called me out just like he calls each and every one of you out he didn't say, hey y'all, come on no he didn't say that, he said Lazarus, come out Kenneth, come out Bob, come out he said, come out, Lucy come out, Lee, come out, Rod, come out and they came out Michael, come out. That's what God wants us to do. God calls us individually by name and he calls us out of that earthly death that we're in and brings us back to life. He brings us back to life. We don't have to worry about that earthly death anymore. He calls us to remember. He calls us to remember what he did for us. At this table at this table his table he will die for our sins so that they're all forgiven for all of us yes Roger for you Cheryl, for you Roberta for you Joan for you all of our sins are forgiven at this table we remember what he did for us that he died for our sins and then, then that glorious day he rose again from the dead so we might have eternal life what Jesus shows us is that grace abounds death is defeated, forgiveness of sins and the life ever after comes through his selfless act he saved the world in just a moment He sits on the right hand of God we now remember as we gather around this table especially Lord we remember we remember that we need not even worry about death anymore we need not worry about it at all for together now as the body of Christ let us remember what he did what he does, and what he will do for each and every one of us, affirming and remembering his gift. And all of God's people said, let us pray.